Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, a podcast by Noibu, where we explore the elite strategies and cutting edge insights with our expert guests. Get ready to propel your e-commerce business to the next level. Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Expert's Perspective. Joining us today, we have ourselves a real expert. His name's Ben Stendahl. He's joining us from Texas. He's had stints at iHeartMedia. He worked at Google, and now he's at Peloton Interactive. He has a wide range of experience from marketing tech to running engineering teams now on the e-com side. Welcome, Ben. Thanks. It's great to be here. So Ben, I always like to understand and start off with, talk to me a bit about your career trajectory, maybe kind of summarizing how you ended up in a director position at a company publicly listed, everyone knows Peloton. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the beginning of my career post-college started in telecoms. So at the time it was dial-up versus DSL versus connected cable copper challenges that we all had. It was a really interesting time in my career. I spent about 10 years there doing everything from front-end e-commerce. And then as I evolved all the way down to the, uh, the tiny back-end bits and bytes of code of SIP switching, so very low level. From there, I really moved on into a brief stint doing e-commerce as well with a security company called Webroot, again, a little bit at telcos. And then I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to join Google and work in the ad tech space. Worked at Google for a few years, actually about four, four and a half years in New York. Gave me a good, really good, strong baseline understanding of ad tech, really good understanding of working at scale and working with really creative and smart people. Then I was given an opportunity to take a really big swing with iHeartMedia at the director level where iHeartMedia was going through a digital transformation. They're a traditional broadcast company that's moving really exclusively into the, the digital space, streaming audio, podcasting, that type of thing. And they needed a centralized ad tech platform to be able to manage the monetization of that space. So I came on to help lead that technology shift, that trade and platform, build a platform for ad tech that was able to create a centralized planning tool and distribution out to these different ad tech servers that served both broadcast as well as things like display, streaming audio, podcasting, all that ad tech through one single platform. It was a really good success um, for me, great part of my career. I'm really proud of what happened at iHeart in terms of that technological transformation. But with everything, there's another opportunity. Uh, I was given an opportunity to lead the uh, web content engineering teams at Peloton. It was a little bit of a shift because they're all very front-end focused on those teams. And I really jumped at it to work with the people and work with the tech at Peloton. Cool. That's awesome. Well, congrats on your success. On that note, maybe talk to us a bit about the tech stack on the Peloton side and start off with that and then maybe explain why some of those decisions were made, even if some of those are kind of predating you. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, a lot of it does predate me but I can give you the best understanding that I have in terms of why those decisions were made. So the current tech stack for the e-commerce engineering portions of Peloton really are like a jam stack. So we've got React and Next.js, bespoke front-end experiences that are managed by engineering teams, really can focus on the user that way. On the back end, we have, we're doing a little bit of replatforming on the order management system, but there's an order management system as well as a content management system that is run on the background. And then there's a lot of content that exists that is unique to Peloton, the workout content, the class content, the class details. And then that is served up out of this high availability environment from the connected fitness teams. So all of that data, all those different data sources are collected and organized together to be able to power the front end. Cool. 
And uh, you and I were kind of chatting ahead of time as well. And it sounds like you guys have kind of gone with the custom React front end. You're using some microservices on the e-com side as well and GraphQL. So it's, it's kind of that like modern, like headless stack. Was that really important to you when you were kind of looking into the to a role versus kind of coming into something that was a bit maybe more monolith or kind of legacy stack? Like maybe I even see some stuff sometimes where the URL ends in .html, right? Or, uh, or, or, you know what I mean? Or every time you click a button, it reloads. There's no JavaScript. So maybe talk to me a bit about when you're looking kind of in your next opportunity, how important that was to you. Yeah, really interesting. The tech that's being used obviously has an impact on recruiting as well. So what are engineers working on? What are the tools that they're using? Where are those skill sets? But then for a direct-to-consumer company like Peloton, Really, the most important aspect of the site is its accuracy and speed. And React and Next.js provide that accuracy and speed so we can use different sources of data in the back end and use GraphQL to kind of mash those together and manage that through different federations and then present that in a very expedient way to the user on the front end to meet them where they are. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that is really, really critical component, especially given that Peloton is a considered purchase, right? Like it's highly unlikely that the first time you enter, by the way, I don't obviously work for the brand, just my opinion here. I feel like it's highly unlikely that someone's going to make that large of a purchase in a split second, right? Maybe unless maybe they tried the product or they saw the product. Uh, To your point, I feel like it's going to be multiple interactions with the brand. So I guess my next question is, how are you guys handling production level issues And a lot of them often fall on the browser, fall potentially with like a a third-party application or user error. But how are you guys handling when there are production level issues that do pop up, whether it's through customer service or kind of social media? Like given that there's so many interactions with the brand and you want to make sure that you guys aren't standing almost in your own way to capturing that transaction, that customer. Yeah, you made a really good point right out of the gate, which is that it is a considered purchase. It's not a $5 item right off the shelf. If you're buying a piece of Peloton equipment, it's something you're going to want to evaluate and consider. Usually you've been introduced to it by a friend or seen it somewhere. It's not something that you are searching for casually that popped up in a feed and you're going to buy at the moment. So that makes uptime really important. If I'm going to visit the site several times, that means that the site has to be ready and available anytime the customer is interested to fill that knowledge gap that they have, that new interest Maybe there's a bit of news on a particular aspect of either the product or the service, and the site's got to be durable and resilient and ready. So making sure that we have that uptime and that speed is something that we are tooled for and and always looking at. You know, that's something that that stays up on monitors. There's tons of alerting that happens. Um, There are alerts in logs that are aggregated together, and they end up in different channels, whether they be as significant as an outage through either one of the content providers or service providers, or something as simple as what we consider a slow service. Something that's not performing is not as performant as we want it to be. And all of that stuff sends off different degrees of alarms. Obviously an outage being a P0, you know, all hands on deck, notifications go out, people end up in Zoom rooms, monitors are intensely combed through, all the tools are firing. But sometimes when it's slow, it's pings, hey, what's going on here? Do we have eyes on this? What does the tooling say? What are the thresholds? Are we within them? How long have they been happening? So we have dashboards for that. We have experts that look into it. We have automation that gives us alerts and indicators. And I keep a close eye on those dashboards. Yeah, that makes sense. And I I feel like a lot around this topic, a lot of the times is 
it's going to be potentially uncommon user paths, uncommon maybe expired browsers and things like that that are going to kind of flag a lot of noise. Like, how is your team really trying to understand that and and kind of correlating that? You look at the KPIs, everything looks like it's on trend, but then some executive's husband or wife had an issue with the website, right? Like, how, how are you guys kind of seeing that happen? That's something that we kind of hear about pretty common. Yeah, so real. That's it's such a real use case. One of the things that we also have to deal with is like abandoned user sessions. And sometimes the data is not clear and uh, the explanation is not apparent. And you kind of do have to go into troubleshooting mode or theorizing, right? Luckily, the corporate headquarters are in New York. And so a lot of people are familiar with the uh, phenomena of going into a train tunnel and losing your connection. And so that is something that we notice is that uh, we more abandoned user sessions or abandoned carts, just lost connections in areas with significant public transport. And so that's like a theory, but you really have to go kind of test that stuff. And luckily we have some people out there are able to kind of reproduce some of those experiences, but you can never be a hundred percent sure for every single one, whether it was a change in connection type, whether it was a pure abandonment, not everything reports that a user dropped the connection manually, the session manually. So it's a lot of interesting sleuthing, digital sleuthing to make sure that the the site is performant. Yeah. No, I think that's a common challenge that we've all seen kind of dovetailing into one of the more topics du jour around AI. Curious how, when it looks at AI, like how, how are you thinking about it from the lens of how you could potentially leverage it to make your customer journeys better? And then on the other side, how are you looking at for potentially some internal use cases around augmenting kind of some of the maybe automated things that you guys are already doing today, kind of taking it to that next level? Yeah. I've been around in tech now for almost 20 years in my professional career, and I've watched several of these phases come in, obviously one now being the, the AIML rush. And, you know, previously I've seen, uh, you know, we had the responsive designs, we've had the microservice shift. Now it's the AI and ML, we'll call it almost like a revolution. And of course, that means that there's lots of attempts to both figure out how to harness it in a way that makes it productive as well as make sure that everyone's being a good steward of their customers' data. So some of the interesting things, the problem spaces that have been most difficult to address have been around things like depersonalization. How do you make this product, this experience, as relevant to the user as possible? Because no user is exactly the same as another. That's a, that's a difficult problem. You made a really good call out moments ago to the considered purchase that is Peloton, which means people do repeat visits oftentimes several times before purchase for a product. They may experience the app for a while before moving on to one of the connected fitness products or pieces of connected fitness equipment. So how do you personalize that experience? And how do you do so in a way that's most relevant? Product recommendations, class recommendations, revisits to the site, recommendations, all of that kind of stuff. You want to be able to make it as relevant as possible, just like anything else. And how do, you, how do you solve that problem with the tooling that we have available today? That's a really significant AI ML challenge that we have. Makes a ton of sense. I think it's also really important to pragmatically look at it. And I think a lot of people might be overplaying it. And it's nice that you've had that experience of having gone through a few of these cycles. 
I remember just a year ago, some of our customers were debating large investments in building metaverse websites and things like that. And then now kind of a year later, like people probably don't really, really want to be launching NFT websites or I don't even know how that works, but that's kind of, you want to make sure that it, there is balance. It, it, there is a few revolutions when you look back that have been technology first. It's typically problem driven in my experience. Like it's actually a pain and then you create a solution off of the technology. But in some cases there has been like the internet that has been kind of technology first, and then the use cases come after. But I'm really curious on, on all of this note, we'll chat about kind of economic climate and like the consumer and all that stuff in a bit. But I'm curious, one of the top challenges is that you're facing your role now and kind of as you look into next year, we're seeing across the board, OPEX budgets are being frozen if you're lucky, in some cases decreasing based on anticipated consumer decrease. And you don't have to kind of comment on the specifics of your OPEX budget, but I'm just more so curious on that vein of maybe there's a modest increase, probably frozen, maybe even a decreased. What are one of the biggest challenges that you're kind of top of mind for you or that you're facing over the next year? Sure. We have some technological challenges. Again, it's a lot focused around our disparate data sources and media types. So we have teams that have been very focused on the actual connected fitness experience. When you're riding a Peloton bike or row or running on the tread, um, you have one set of experiences. Interacting with the web app itself or the app, you might have a slightly other experience. And if you're online and using a computer, you might have another experience, but the data sets are all the same. The data sources are all the same. And so unifying that into a kind of cohesive experience, whether it be the pre-sale experience, I think previously our perspective value proposition has been, hey, we have an app. Hey, we have content. Give us a subscription fee and we'll show you what it is. We have to change that because obviously we want to lead first with what's most relevant to most customers, which is this, this great content, this unmatched content that's available. But that means new media types of engineering, being able to protect some of the IP, being able to work within our user and subscription management services that we just haven't had to before. In addition to that, we've got a longer engineering wish list than we have engineering. We could solve all the problems we had on the list today. I mean, I don't know what the headcount would look like. And so always looking for ways in which we can augment our current talent or take menial tasks off their plate. So that way they're focused on the big problems than the bespoke problems that are like meaty for the organization. So yeah, it's an evergreen problem, right? There's no company has ever said, well, I've got everything I want right now. There's always the next big thing. And how do you get there faster? How do you get there with more certainty? How can you play more, you know, test and experiment more? Those are all things that we can probably leverage some of these, you know, emergent technologies to be able to better focus our existing teams, resources, people, hardware, all that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you and I chatted a bit before the show as well around AI's involvement kind of moving forward. And I think one thing that you said really stuck out to me is in some cases, AI is is seen as like kind of big and scary, but in other cases, I see it as an opportunity to remove menial tasks, right? Like we use it internally for like database cleanups, like, hey, here's an account list. Like, can someone query it and understand if there's duplicates so that we're not prospecting our customers, right? And I'm assuming there's an opportunity for that on every side as well, so that you're not serving up paid media to existing customers, things like that. I think at the end of the day, what technology really does is allows the human to kind of level up to a higher level problem. And that's how I think we're viewing it today as well. And I think there's an opportunity in every industry, but I think particularly around, it's almost the perfect storm where we're seeing 
a lot of public companies are like freezing, potentially cutting budgets. We're unsure where the consumer demand is going to be over the next four or five quarters. And just kind of looking at all of that, how do we ensure that everyone works eight hours a day, that they're working on the thing that's going to drive kind of the highest ROI, but also it's going to marry to them being excited to work on it. Because I think there's certain things like refactoring code or debugging something that people want to launch features, at least in my experience. And, and you're, the, you're the tech guy, so maybe tell us, like people want to focus on features and focus on kind of moving things forward versus maybe getting stuck into, I don't know, some production level bug on a browser that 2% of people shop on. It's so interesting with all this novel approaches, with this release of technological advancement that we're experiencing right now, this revolution, as it really pointed it out uh, with AI and ML, there's the fear aspect and then there's the opportunity aspect. Some people are really, really opportunistic and other people are very afraid. I think both are right. The important part for me in any of this is to make sure that the conversation is being had. I don't have all the answers. I hope no one has all the answers. That would be uh, a godlike quality. But I think together and through a lot of open conversations, those ideas can come up from the engineers involved, the problem space, the product folks, the data folks, the leadership, having open, honest conversation about like, hey, where do we want to focus our efforts? What are the opportunities? Where are we drawing certain lines? That open and honest conversation is really helpful to dialing back the fear and ramping up the opportunity. If I'm involved in the problem space, I see the opportunity better. I'm less afraid of it. And same thing, the more I talk about something, the more I'm involved in it, the less afraid of it I am. So I think really to hit that sweet spot, that's what I really want to see most is that it is a conversation that's had above board and that the most people possible are involved. Makes a ton of sense. As we look to wrap up, Ben, my last question is, what do you think one thing that e-commerce brands should stop doing? Uh, good question. I would say modal overlays as much as possible. There is nothing that irritates me more and that I see in the uh, in, in full story logs quicker irritate customers in, in rage clicks, escapes, and close buttons as it is modal pop-ups. I know that they're still quite effective for marketing as well as to be able to gather things like qualified leads. And so I don't see them going anywhere soon, but any product folks, design folks, or engineers that can work to make that a less intrusive or a better experience for customers, I think would be welcomed by all. Cool. Awesome. Well, on that note, thank you, Ben. Really appreciate it. Honestly, great conversation. Very much enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Cheers. This has been a great opportunity. I really appreciate it. Likewise. The e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives is brought to you by Noibu. To find out more about Noibu and how we can help you debug your e-commerce site and rocket your revenue, visit www.noibu.com. That's N-O-I-B-U dot com. And then make sure to search for the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Noibu, thanks for listening. <laughs>